Well, good morning, church. We are happy to have you with us this morning, happy to have the folks that are uh, with us online. Given how warm Christmas was, this is not what I expected for the day after New Year's, but, you know, things happen. Uh, how did you spend New Year's? How'd you, don't, don't answer all at once, but the reason I asked that question, I heard a news story, um, the longest and actually I think the highest tramway in North America is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, when Yodi and I weren't even married yet, she took me on that tramway. I was trying to be cool, but it was really scary. It, it's way high, especially the last span, which is the big, long span. God knows what I'm talking about. And uh, a group of 21 people on New Year's Eve, they were mostly employees uh, of the tramway and the restaurants on the top of the peak at Sandia Peak, they got stuck at 10 p.m. New Year's Eve because of the icing up of the cables, and rescue efforts were made to try and get to them, and they were able to get blankets and water to them, but they weren't able to get them down. So they spent their first hours of New Year's suspended thousand, over a thousand feet in the air. It's the gap right where the, the mountain kind of drops away and there's not much below you. How do you think Jesus spent New Year's? Now, the Jewish New Year's not January 1st. It, it occurs, their first month occurs roughly the time of our September, October. It kind of crosses over that period. It depends on where the moon is and the sun. But, but New Year's Day for Jesus would be with the sound of trumpets. I thought about bringing my old coronet and, and giving you a nice blast, but then I thought that would raise more questions than it answered, so I decided not to do that. But, but, but Jesus would have started his New Year's with the sound of trumpets, of the Feast of Trumpets. Usually it goes by the name Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year the new year, the beginning day of the year. And you blow trumpets. And the reason you blow trumpets is the most sacred day of the entire year is going to happen in one, the next Sabbath, or in seven days. The most sacred day of the year is not New Year's Day, but you blow trumpets to get everybody in the mindset. Because seven days later will be the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so the Jewish people, the way they start the new year is by getting into the mind space that says, God has made a provision for us so that our sins can be atoned for. That's how Jesus would have started his new year. 
And it's appropriate for us to think about that because the passage that I'm going to look at most today, it draws a lot on what Ike read, Isaiah 53. The actual passage I want you all to turn to is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, maybe a little bit from chapter 10 we'll look at, but if you've got the study sheets, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to spend our time thinking today. Because the part of Jesus that I want to talk about today, we've been telling the story of Jesus in this sermon series, the part of Jesus that I want to talk about today is the fact that as Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. And by his agony, by his stripes, by the the beatings he took, we are healed. Jesus' sacrificial death is what saves us. And we know that. We just put bread to our mouths, which is Jesus' body being tortured so that we wouldn't be. We just put fruit of the vine to our lips and drank it. Because instead of our blood being splattered as a just punishment for our sins, The blood of Jesus Christ was unleashed from his body to save you and me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for Jim Baird's transgressions. He was wounded for Ike Wilson's transgressions. He was wounded for Gary Dilworth's transgressions. I I don't want to go through everybody, but your transgressions is why Jesus suffered. This is something that the Christians 2,000 years ago gathered around and took this meal to remember. And that's what we will be doing, as Jeremy reminded us, 51 more times this year that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Hebrews 9, I'm going to skip around a little bit in Hebrews 9, but if you're in Hebrews 9, you can look down at verse 22, because the Hebrew writer gives us a little summary statement of several things that he said. He points out there, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And then he goes on and describes specifically several things about the Jewish law, but specifically the Day of Atonement. Now, the first covenant had regulations. Verse 1 says the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. And then down in verse 7, he describes the Day of Atonement. The high priest alone would enter the inner rooms, that is the Holy of Holies, the most sacred space where where God would speak to his people, which he offered for himself and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. And the Holy Spirit was showing that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing or still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. So there are several things going on as the Hebrew writer kind of unpacks 
this long history of the Day of Atonement. One week after New Year's, this sacred day where the high priest would go into the temple and go through the outer chamber of the temple where there was showbread and lamps and, and an altar of incense. And he would go all the way in to where the Ark of the Covenant once stood. Even long after the Ark was lost, the high priest would go in there and offer blood to cleanse the people of their sins. The blood of bulls for himself, the blood of goats for the people. Blood is what made the people clean before God. In the Old Testament, in the Old Law, blood sacrifice was ordained for fallen humans to make them clean enough to approach God. Who do you have in your life that when you go to meet them, you're a little nervous? For me, this used to happen a lot. I had some older relatives that would make me nervous. And now it usually happens when I got to go talk to one of my many, many bosses. I'm a little nervous. How do you act when you got to go and talk to someone that makes you a little nervous, that you're a little intimidated by? Well, you're kind of straightening your tie. You know, you're, you're, you're making sure everything is together. You, if you have a friend, you say, well, check my hair. You know, is everything looking good? One thing you don't do is go in there with oil-stained hands or dirty fingernails or with a piece of lettuce sticking out of your teeth. I mean, those, those are all just so terrifying. I had an aunt that just scared me when I was a kid. She was very particular about how her house was, and I was intimidated by her, and I wanted to, you know, at least when she was looking at me, I wanted to not do anything wrong. The blood sacrifices of the Old Testament, there were many of them. The blood sacrifices of the Old Testament get to this part of our psychology. We're intimidated when we're going in in front of people, just human beings, who sort of outrank us in some way or make us intimidated in some way. The more you think about who God is, and how high he is, and how holy he is, the more intimidated you become. This is one of those cases where the less you know, the less scary God is. The more you know, the more terrifying it is to draw close to God. And sacrifice was given to deal with that fear, I think, at least partly. I know. Like Isaiah says, I live, it's not just me that's messed up. My whole culture is messed up. I live in a, Isaiah says, in a people with unclean lips. And I don't deserve to approach God. The proper thing to do with God is run and hide. Find the highest mountain crawl into the deepest hole under it, and then ask the mountain to close over you. 
That's the proper thing to do with God. Because he's that holy, and we are that smeared with the grime of sin. And sacrifice comes. God gives this blessing. He says, you take something precious to you, agricultural culture, you take a bull, you take a goat, you take whatever sacrifice you can, various ones were prescribed, and you come and with that blood, you will at least temporarily kind of make a a clean place where you and I can meet. That's what God says. You'll be clean enough for me to come to you. You know, God can forgive you, but you got to get to him. And the blood was given as a way to let you come to God, to draw close to God. But there was a problem, and the Hebrew writer begins to unpack that part of the problem. This, This Hebrew writer knew what it was like to live under that old law. He knew a lot about how the temple functioned and how the priesthood functioned, and he understood that I've messed up all year long. I've done things, and I've refused to do things, and and I've just got a pack of, of filthy sins all over me. And I... There's a, there's a cognitive dissonance between the fact of how spiritually dirty I know myself to be and the idea that the blood of this goat is going to fix that. And so I do it because God gave it to me and because God's word says this is what you do if you want to approach me. And so I do it. But at the same time, I know that's not okay. He says, you know, that that blood of bulls and goats, it never quite does the job that we want it to do. It never really cleanses our consciences. It doesn't really take away sin. So we're given this blessing by God to help us. But at the same time, it whets our appetite for something more. It points us to something bigger. And that bigger, obviously, the Hebrew writer is going to tell us and the rest of the Bible tells us too, that bigger thing is a more perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9, look down in verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be cleaned with those sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves, with better sacrifices than these. There is, the earthly temple was just a copy of what's actually going on in heaven. If you want to go to actual presence of God, where God is, heaven, you need a different and better offering. Now go up to verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this world. 
He did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and goat, but he entered the most holy place, the real most holy place, once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? That's the faith as expounded to us by the writer of Hebrews. This is what happened when Jesus died, when he offered his blood. By his death on the cross, Jesus offers the one and only blood sacrifice that can make us all clean. It's important that it's the one and only. There can't be a better sacrifice than God himself in human flesh offering himself voluntarily, though without sin, to take the burden of sin. There can't be a better sacrifice than that. It's not even logically possible for there to be a bigger and more holy sacrifice than that. And here's the remarkable thing, which the first Christians begin to recognize, and which you, if you think about it long enough, you have recognized yourself. You may not have realized this was all that was going on, but you've recognized this yourself. If I'm under the old law and I'm taking the blood of a bull or, you know, the blood of a goat, and I'm saying, please don't punish me the way I deserve to be punished, God. Here is a blood sacrifice to make me clean before you, at least long enough for me to beg for your forgiveness. You know, that doesn't really do the job. And yet, all over the world, for 2,000 years, people hear that God himself, in human form, offered himself as God's own sacrifice. That Jesus Christ, voluntarily, without sin, offered his blood to make you clean. And you've experienced this. You actually feel clean when you hear that and believe it. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you allow Jesus' church to, to bury you in water and bring you up out of that water, as we, as we saw last week, you actually realize, I could never do this. But the blood of Jesus Christ has done this, has made me clean before God. It's an amazing thing. And those early Christians, the earliest Christians, all of them were Jewish. They knew how the old law worked. They knew it intimately, better than any of us ever will. And they realized this is the sacrifice that actually brings us to God. This is the one that actually cleanses our conscience. Jesus Christ's blood sacrifice makes us clean before God. The writer down in verse 24 says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, 
now to appear for us in God's presence. He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The writer of Hebrews says, for those who put their trust in Jesus, those who say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I, I want to turn away from my sins. I want to tell the world that you truly are the Christ. I want to let your church come and bury my old life. Kill it. Leave it there. And raise me up a new person out of the waters of baptism. Those who put their trust in Jesus, his blood washes away sin and prepares us to be with God. To be with God right now. God is here right now with us. Why aren't you terrified? Why aren't you scared? To Isaiah was scared. Why aren't you scared? You know why. The blood of Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our sins, for our iniquities. The writer of Hebrews says that presence of God, that inner sanctuary where God himself is, we aren't clean enough to go in there. And the blood of bulls and goats can never get us there. But God has done something amazing. No sacrifice I can offer to God can get me there. But God has done this amazing thing. That he has become the sacrifice that makes us ready to be with God. Right here. And in the next life too. There's coming a day when this reality that we're experiencing right now with all of its turmoil and all of its pain and all of its death and all of its disease, this reality will not go on forever. And as Jeremy pointed out to us in the communion talk, it could be this year. It could be before I get to the end of the sermon. Wouldn't that be cool? They just peel back the ceiling and there we go. That would be great. One day that's going to happen. That, that because of what God did by sacrificing himself as Jesus Christ on the cross, you don't have to be afraid now to come to be in God's presence. And you will be ready to be in God's presence when that great day comes too. Isn't that amazing? The Hebrew writer kind of wraps everything up over in chapter 10. This isn't on your study sheet. This is bonus. Turn over to chapter 10 and look at verse 19. That holy place, that place where God is, where in the old days people get too close to that and they get killed. 
It's forbidden for anybody but the high priest and only once a year to come into that place. And here's what the Hebrew writer says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 19 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The writer says, you, not because you deserve it, but because you've received this blessing, you have been washed clean, clean, so that you can stand with God in God's holy of holies. All because Jesus was wounded for our iniquities. All because the punishment that should have fallen on us fell on him. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters online, that is good news. That is gospel. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for what you have done in washing us clean with the blood of Jesus. God, we are grateful that, that we can stand in your presence, washed of our sins, that the, all of those requirements of the law have been met fully in Jesus Christ, so that we can actually be righteous. God, we are grateful that out of the entire world, that blood that Jesus shed has gathered together a people from every language and every tribe to be with you. God, we are grateful that you sent your son Jesus as a sacrifice to make us clean. These things we pray in his great name. Amen. There is a great day coming, the day of judgment. And God has made provision so that you are ready to stand in his presence when that day comes. If you need prayers or help of some kind to further yourself on your journey to be ready on that day, if today is the day that you want to have yourself washed in the blood of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism, to begin to walk in a new walk, then we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.